September 15th here at Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the High Stakes Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Adam Krautwurst. And we drafted a main event team with Adam last week. Adam, how did that group and the rest of your main event squads fare in week one? So that team did did well. Uh, I, I, I won, uh, which is always a good thing. Always important to get started off hot here in the main event with it only being uh, 11 regular season weeks. Uh, put up 145 points. You know, not not too shabby. I think I was fourth in scoring in, in my league, so I was happy to get a win there. Um, and overall, in my seven main events, uh, I won all seven of them. So I went seven and zero. Which is, listen, the fantasy gods are cruel, but when they're when they're good to you, uh, you you kind of got to relish it in a little bit. So to go seven and zero week one. Uh, I don't care what else happened in any of my other leagues. <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting, I'm sitting on, cl- I'm on cloud nine. <laughs> especially nice to do that heading into this week one waiver run or post week one waiver run, so that you're not panicking and feeling like, oh my god, how do I fix this now? You're rather sitting back and seeing what happened and reacting and trying not to overreact. So I imagine that adds a layer of comfort for you. Yeah, it's, it certainly does, and uh, you know, for for this particular team that we had drafted together, there's not you know uh, there's not much panic involved with that team at all. So you know, but you kind of got to take it team by team, situation by situation. You know, injuries are popping up like like crazy, and you know, uh, normally I'm super aggressive on the waiver wire in the main event, but for teams that don't need any help, I don't, I don't mind sitting and letting everybody else spend their fab budget. Yeah, I mean, everybody is excited for week one, but there is also room for teams that are a bit overexcited in week one to drop somebody that could help you down the road. So I also, in addition to making sure that I pay attention for week one, I also like to see who teams are giving up on too quickly and kind of mine that for options. And in the FFPC, you're going to get a shot at those guys before we get week two games to, to show that people are overreacting, right? We get another waiver run on Friday night to try to scoop up some of those players. Yeah. So there's waivers, obviously Wednesdays and Fridays, and then you can't pick up the Wednesday drops until the following uh, Wednesday. So those guys kind of sit on waivers for, for a week, but yeah, it's interesting. Cause you know, we're going to go over a list of guys that I think uh, are worth adding uh, in the main event, but you know, I don't know who people have on their rosters. So is there a guy, you know, is there a guy that you're going to drop? You know, is there a guy you want to be patient with? So it's interesting week, week two waivers uh, to see who people kind of panicked on and dropped. And there's some little gems there too. So the, the guys that are dropped in the Wednesday waiver run are not available for the Friday waiver run. Correct. Yeah. Okay. I think that's to avoid like um, teams, kind of collaborating and saying, uh-huh. oh, oh, I'm going to drop, save your money. I'll drop a guy Wednesday and then you can pick him up Friday to type deal. He goes, they, they have to sit there for, for a week. Gotcha. I can understand that. Yeah. Uh, I did look back on fantasymojo.com for some of the top waiver ads from week one last week. Cause that's going to be our focus tonight is this, this week one, this post week one games waiver run where we're trying to figure out, you know, who among the guys that surprised us in week one we need to go ahead and change our minds on and we need to grab in case they're ready to help us, and who just had a good week and should be left to join some other team. I looked back at FantasyMojo.com for some of the top waiver ads from week one games last season, and a couple of guys that jumped out 
uh, were Terry McLaurin and John Ross. They were among the most popular pickups across FFPC leagues last week one. Obviously, McLaurin then went on to help plenty of teams in the main event and elsewhere. John Ross, not so much. I mean, obviously, injury was a key factor for him not paying off. He did pay off in week two, but then was quickly gone beyond that. So, you know, tough to know what he would have done if he had stayed healthy. But I think it's also worth looking at the range of bids that won those players because, you know, in addition to figuring out who we want to go after, the probably more challenging part is deciding how much to spend on these players. And we'll get into that as we talk about the specific targets. But last year, John Ross, after the week one games where he had the big game at Seattle, he went for as low as $75 and as high as $982 in this place where you have 1000 FAAB dollars to spend for the entire season. So if you spent yeah. 982 on John Ross, then you've got $18 for waiver pickups the rest of the way. Yeah, you know, I don't think I'll ever recommend spending 982 week one on somebody, but especially like a receiver who's unproven or whatever. But, you know, it's it's really depends on your roster, depends on what it looks like. And, you know, Ross did have a couple, I think he was really good week two and maybe week three as, as well. But, Again, you kind of have to kind of read between the lines and do your research. And I think Draft Sharks was really good last year in, in pointing out that yes, while Ross had that amazing week, week one and week two, you know he he wasn't getting, I think he wasn't getting the the targets. His his efficiency was absolutely you know in, insane, and you know, obviously he gets hurt. But outside of the injury, I don't I don't think he was going to be able to keep up that pace. Anyways, so you know nine eighty two is huge. But again, sometimes guys are in so many leagues that they don't want to deal with waivers all year. So if they mm-hmm. see something that, that they like, they're just going to spend their budget, get the guy that, that, that they want. You know, And there are situations like, you know, if, for example, Naheem Hines, if he was available this, this week, he's obviously not available in any in any uh, main events. But if, if he was, he's a guy worth going all, going all in on. Uh, so uh, I, I could certainly see it, just not with a receiver like John Ross. I wouldn't be surprised if Naheem Hines is – out there in a league here or there, do you know that he was drafted everywhere or is it possible that he's on a couple waiver wires? I guess it's possible. So, you know, technically this is really the second week of waiver bids because you could do waiver bids last Wednesday and Friday. So, um, but obviously we didn't, we didn't have any games to go off of. There weren't any like um, kind of major injuries in, you know, from the week one games, before then, obviously. So yeah, Naheem Hines was really like, if he didn't get drafted in main event leagues that were going off a month ago, he was certainly picked up uh, in that first waiver run there. So um, he's not, you know, I did a search. He's not available in any of the leagues that I'm, that, that, that I'm in. Uh, but I guess he, I guess there's a, there, there's, there's a chance. A couple other guys that I, I looked up McLaurin, who I mentioned also went for a low of $73 in waivers after week one games last year, where he had that big game at wash or at Philadelphia. And I, honestly, it surprises me that he could be had for as low as $73 after the game that he had against Philadelphia last week one, but as high as $761. So I I think it's, I I think that's more understandable than 982 for John Ross. It always surprises me when somebody blows that much of their budget on really any player, but especially on a receiver, like you mentioned Um, a couple other guys to throw in there, Danny Amendola went for as low as $1 and as high as six sixty-seven. He, of course, had the big game in the overtime win or the overtime tie 
against Arizona for the Lions at the beginning of last year. He's a good example where I would have had no problem throwing out a few dollars, you know, maybe maybe even up to 40 after the game that Amendola had to see what happens the rest of the way. But 667 was somebody, obviously, uh, I don't know, trying to to reach for something on waivers in that week one rather than playing out the season like you alluded to. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of times when you see these crazy low bids, it's just, you know, people get lazy. They just get, you know, they they look at a guy and go, eh, Danny Amendola, like you said, he might, he's probably worth 40, but he's not even worth the the five minutes to put in the bid on, on you know, on, on Amendola. Um, and same with McLaurin last year going versus 73. It's like, ah, you know, I, there's no way I'm, there's no way I'm going to get him. You know, he's probably worth a hundred, but you know, I'm not going even going to add him to the waiver claim. So you know you got to be, especially at the beginning of the year, you got to be really, uh, you know, you got to keep everything tight. I know a lot of us are in a lot of leagues, uh, you know, but you got to do your due diligence and and at least put some type of waiver claim in for for these guys. And Raheem Mostert went for as low as twenty one dollars after Week One last season, as high as four fifty seven. So uh, more than a couple hundred dollars cheaper than Amendola, than McLaurin, than John Ross. And that came after Tevin Coleman went down in that week one game. So Raheem Mostert was a foreseeable breakthrough player. Obviously, none of us would have projected that he would score as many touchdowns down the stretch as he did last regular season. But that's a guy that, you know, let's say you you see Raheem Mostert and you're like, somebody's going to pay $300 for him on my waivers, so I'm not even going to bother. And then if you see him then go to a team for $21 when the waivers go, you're going to be yep. killing yourself afterward. So go That's ahead right. and put in a claim if you're interested at all and see what happens. Yeah, exactly. That Stuff like that makes you want to puke. And I've had that happen before in the past, and I don't, so I don't let that happen again. I know how that feels. And, you know, it's a big difference making uh, – these guys are difference-making picks. They The difference between, you know, winning or losing your, your league. Now, we obviously have these waiver decisions to make every week, but especially in week one, you know, we are getting our first actual game action, and especially this year when we had no preseason. So we want to not overreact to what we just saw, but we also want to not underreact. And I got that um, from Lord Reeves on uh, Twitter today, and it's a good reminder because you don't want to just sit back and say, it's only week one. I'm not changing my mind from where it was, you know, a week ago. But sometimes you need to change your mind because you've seen a game, you've seen Malcolm Brown, for example, lead the Rams backfield in touches, and maybe we're just wrong ultimately. Maybe that's a situation where Cam Akers is not the lead back at any point. Maybe Malcolm Brown becomes this stellar pickup in week one. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, you got to take everything. You got to take, you know, kind of the the totality of the circumstances into account when it comes to all of these situations, all these players, because... You know, you don't want to overreact, you don't want to underreact, but you have to react quickly because, you know, if you have to, you have to make a decision, you know, you have to make an, an, an informed decision. You know, you got guys like Hayden Hurst yesterday who were facing, you know, it, one of the toughest, if not the toughest defense against tight ends. Um, he had an incredible highlight catch, you know, but was, but had a, that's probably the toughest matchup he can have all year, all year long. So you don't want to overreact and be like, man, Hayden Hurst stinks. You know, and then you got guys like, you know, T- Tyler Higby, who's my boy, mm-hmm. but like he, that was a smash spot for, for, for him. You know what I mean? He killed the Cowboys a little last year. So that's a situation where you go, huh, like, what, you know, was I a little bit too, too high on him? Uh, but again, those are 
those guys are obviously on, on waivers, but you kind of have to look at all of the players that are on waivers and kind of make those decisions. Like, did he have a, like, you know, we're going to talk about these guys, Russell Gage, Malcolm Brown. Like, did they, was it just a fluke? Did they have a really good matchup? You know, what, what happened? Or, or is it something that can be sustained uh, for, for a long period of time? Yeah. We'll get to the specific players in just a minute. For me, the overarching factors here in making a decision on each player are one, the upside of, the player and or his situation. So, you know, how good a player is he and how much upside is there to his situation? Terry McLaurin last year, uh, most of us were not expecting big things from him early in Washington, which looked like a terrible spot. But then he played the Eagles and he looked awesome. And that was the first time that I really watched him play a game and he looked incredible. So at that point, I was like, okay, I'm going to make sure that this guy's not on waivers anymore. I'm not going to go crazy and break my bank to get him, but I'm not going to leave him out there because there's a chance that he's really good. Then the other part is how much do I need him? If I have a, a, a roster that's loaded at wide receiver, am I going to spend a ton to try to add a sixth wide receiver if I know that I'm going to need to lose two or three guys for him to actually start for me. No, that's going to be a less important thing. And, you know, if I end up losing out on Raheem Mostert to somebody else because I'm loaded at running back and somebody else needs him more then so be it. But to me, those are the two key factors when I'm deciding on each player for setting my waiver bids. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, those, those are the two major factors. Um, for me, upside of the player in situation, like how is that player going to do, or, or you know, what's the upside that they can that they can bring? That's the most important for for me because with the flexibility of the FFPC rosters, you know, with the with the two flex p- positions, if I think a player is going to be excellent for me the rest of the year. Uh, I'll be able to find a spot for him, whether it's you know bye weeks or injuries down the, down the line. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pass up on a player just because I may not need a receiver. Now, if it's a tiebreaker between like okay, I need a running back more than I need this receiver, well then I'll put the higher waiver claim in for that running back if I think that they can be as effective as that receiver. But I think you never want to become c- complacent in the main event because. You, you always got to be two steps ahead of these guys, or at least to, to try to be ahead of these guys and girls because, uh, you know, all the high upside players are generally drafted or they're generally gone. So you really got to think ahead. And the position to me doesn't make as, as much of a factor as it does the actual player. Yeah, that's a good point. And in a format like this, which I haven't played nearly as often, uh, it's important to shoot for that upside because that's ultimately what's going to give you a shot at winning the cash. So, Let's stop speaking in generalities. Let's get to the specific players. And Malcolm Brown is the first one up on our list. So we were all expecting Cam Akers to at least lead the Rams backfield in touches in week one. It was not surprising to see a committee, but the surprising part was Malcolm Brown easily leading this committee, both in carries and in receptions. And that's what differed from last year because we saw the Rams open in Carolina last season and Malcolm Brown put in the bigger fantasy day than Todd Gurley, but he did so on fewer carries. He just happened to score two touchdowns and he did not factor into the passing game. And then all season, Malcolm Brown was not a receiving factor. He had six targets all of last year. This year, Malcolm Brown had four targets in the first game against Dallas. So he's clearly a different entity for these Rams than he was last year. Yeah. So, you know, the, the list of these guys are not 
in particularly any any order, but I will say that Malcolm Brown is is my number one uh, pickup for, for 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 the main event for for this week because he he just he straight up looked better than Cam Akers, you know, which is which is horrible horrible to say. I know for all the Cam Akers tr- truthers out there, I do have a little bit of Cam. I probably have more Malcolm Brown than I do. Uh, Cam Akers, which which is great, but uh, but yeah, he just looked better. Not that Cam Akers looked looked look, look horrible. He you know he kind of looked looked like a rookie, you know, without a a big training camp. But you know, and Mc McVeigh, he obviously trusts him. And Malcolm Brown, he's a veteran there. You know, like you said, he got the catches, he got the carries. So, you know, if you are someone who who lost Marlon Mack. You know, Levy on Bell for an extended period here. If you drafted Leonard Fournette and you're kind of looking for a replacement for that, uh, Malcolm Brown is, you know, to me right now, he's the number one running back in LA. And I don't think that's going to change unless there's an injury or something like that. So, you know, if you went zero RRB, right, or if you maybe went modified zero RB and you're looking for that number two running back to get you through for the next four or five weeks, or maybe even the rest of the year, who who knows? Uh, Malcolm Brown is, is that guy. Obviously, the, the offense. Um, you know, it's a, it's a higher paced offense. It's a higher scoring offense. So to me, if I, if I need, need a running back or if I, you know, I'm looking for a player that can be an RB2 for me, Malcolm Brown's definitely the guy. So I would be willing to, to bid upwards of 50% of my budget for him, five, uh, 5-0%. So, um, you know, that's, so if you have a thousand bid bucks, I'd be willing to bid up to 500. Now, again, Everyone's teams is, is different. So I just listed Marlon Mack, Le'Veon Bell, and Leonard Fournette. You might have all three of those guys, right? So, you know, you're you need Malcolm Brown more, more than anybody. So I could see people bidding more than that, and I'm sure they will. But if you just have if you if your roster's in good good shape, but you want to snag Malcolm Brown, I'd definitely be willing to bid uh 50% of my budget for him. Yeah, I mean if you're already looking like you're in trouble at running back and you're not sure who you're gonna start in week two. And I could see going to say seven hundred dollars for Malcolm Brown sure. because we're, you just we're not going to find lead running backs, and I don't know if Malcolm Brown's going to stay the Rams' lead running back all season. But you're not just going to see lead running backs show up on the waiver wire. It's usually going to be the starter went down. Now the backup is available. Everybody bid on the backup. That's almost always going to be a lesser player. In this case, Malcolm Brown, at least for week one emerged as the top touch guy in the Rams backfield. If I had to bet right now on who leads Rams running backs in in touches and fantasy production this year, I mean, I guess I would still go Cam Akers because I think he's a more talented player, but the Rams paid for Malcolm Brown um, in restricted free agency where the Lions tried to sign him away. So they obviously like him to some degree. They kept him around and they gave him the ball ahead of Cam Akers this week. And all we have to do is look back to last year for a, a rookie that the team liked not getting the touches that we thought he was going to get. Daryl Henderson, the Rams moved up a little bit in round three last year, which is just a round later than where they drafted Cam Akers. And they got Daryl Henderson, even though they already had Todd Gurley on the roster. So Daryl Henderson disappointed us all season last year. It's definitely within the realm of possibility that Cam Akers disappoints us all year this year. So I, th- I think you have to go ahead and treat Malcolm Brown like he's the lead back for the Rams this week and add him to your roster and don't be too stubborn saying, no, it's, it's Cam Akers job. I'm out on Malcolm Brown. Yeah. And again, it's a situation where I, I think Malcolm Brown looked better than Cam Akers. So, uh, and obviously Daryl Henderson, you know, 
I mean, the Rams, I don't think love him anymore. He didn't, he hasn't shown anything. Uh, so I wouldn't be too worried about him, but yeah, definitely pick up Malcolm Brown. He's, you know, he's a Cam Akers injury away from really dominating this, this, this backfield. So, and then, and that's a thing. I know you can kind of say that about everybody. Well, this person's injury away, but again, in the main event, you have to be lucky, you know, sometimes to get guys uh, that are, that are behind injured players, but you gotta, you know, you gotta have those backups because once, you know, once the player gets, gets hurt, the backup's going for 900 bid bucks or, or he's already gone. You gotta, you gotta be stay two steps ahead. Um, and right now getting Malcolm Brown isn't two steps ahead. It's probably like a half a step ahead, or maybe you're already a bit behind, but, um, but he's certainly worth, worth the, the big bid bucks this week. And even though Malcolm Brown's not a flashy athlete, he is basically an athletic clone at speed and size. He's a clone to CJ Anderson. And we've seen CJ Anderson produce on multiple teams, including with the Rams. So again, Malcolm Brown, not a stud athlete, not the guy that wows you on tape, but he certainly can be a productive running back here. Absolutely. Let's go to some of the other running backs on the list before going to maybe the higher dollar receivers. And let's look at Peyton Barber, who obviously is in Washington where Antonio Gibson was the flashy one on draft day. Antonio Gibson was okay in that game against the Eagles. He, he had a couple runs where you could see some of the juice, but Peyton Barber outcarried him. Peyton Barber especially outcarried Antonio Gibson near the goal line, got the two touchdowns, and it was more than just that. I believe he got six goal line carries to just one for Antonio Gibson. So to me, that's the part that you have to pay attention to. Peyton Barber, I would say he's a lesser player than Malcolm Brown, but he's worth some attention this week at least. Yes. Uh, he's a lesser player than Malcolm Brown. He's probably a, probably a lesser player than Antonio Gibson, but you know, the coaches obviously trust him. And it's funny because you know, people would post on Twitter like, I can't wait, you know, before the game, I can't wait for Peyton Barber to have two touchdowns and watch everyone go crazy. And that's of course that's exactly what happened, you know. Everyone's so excited, including myself. I have Antonio Gibson in some in some leagues, you know, you're excited to kind of roll out that shiny new toy, and there's Peyton Barber just to, you know, to crush those those dreams. But you know, I'm not excited about adding Peyton Barber. Like, you know, I, I would be excited to get Malcolm Brown. I'm not excited to get a guy like Peyton Barber, but again, with the injuries at the running back position, if you lost running backs, picking up a running back that is going to get those goal line carries that, the, that, that, that the coaches trust. I mean, obviously they're, they're, they're not there with Bryce Love yet, you know, so Barber's going to get those, those goal line carries, you know, and I think uh, part of that to, too was that they weren't you know they ended up winning the game and they obviously weren't weren't trailing too much in that game so uh to be able to kind of pound barber uh was was they're not probably going to have positive game scripts like that all, all year but you know he got six goal line carries very very valuable so he's certainly worth even if even if you don't need a running back you know tomorrow uh and maybe a week or two you, you might and he's certainly worth a flex spot there if he's going to get you know all of the goal line work yeah now to me peyton barber here is last year's week one Malcolm Brown, where I would certainly not bet on him having another two touchdown game. He's, I don't think he's going to get the receiving work. He was not particularly involved as a receiver against Philly. And he's not, he's clearly not the best running back talent in this backfield. I mean, we might not see Peyton Barber get 
as many carries overall or near the goal line the rest of the season as he did in week one. You know, you mentioned Bryce Love. We'll see if he ever becomes a thing. Maybe he doesn't, but there's at least a chance that he does. J.D. McKissick was involved. Antonio Antonio Gibson was involved. And you got to figure that Antonio Gibson, being kind of the underdeveloped running back coming in, you got to figure they're probably working him in and maybe not over-trusting him the first week. And then there's the Washington offense, which, as you mentioned, I don't think that there are going to be a whole lot of positive game scripts for them. Some Peyton Barber type games, I guess, if you will. Uh, So I I think Peyton Barber is worth that low claim, just in case nobody else in your league is taking him, tossing a few dollars to make sure he doesn't stay free, you know, if you have the spot for him. But I'm far less interested in Peyton Barber than I am some other options on waivers. Yeah, so I only put down fifteen percent for for him again. If if you need, that's a situation where you know I would be trying to pick up Malcolm Brown regardless of if I need a running back or not. Whereas Peyton Barber is probably more of a guy where hey, if I had one of the guys get get injured, um, I would pick up Peyton Barber uh, to maybe uh, get it, play him for a week or two if I if I was absolutely desperate. Now I'd rather have uh, Bryce Love to to be honest with you. Um, cause I think he is probably the better he's, I think he's the better running back. I don't know if maybe he's just having trouble picking up the system, but brace lot isn't even available in any of the main event leagues that I'm in or even the football guys. So, um, people obviously see Bryce love as, as, as probably the better bet, uh, for the long term, And that might be a situation where you just kind of pass on barber or pass on maybe say, maybe you're going to save some of your bid bucks. And maybe some people get frustrated because Bryce Love, uh, I don't even think he was even active on Sunday. And maybe somebody drops Love and you can go ahead and scoop him up next week, you know. So, uh, but Peyton Barber, just 15% was all, was all I put down. And really, he's just a, you know, a desperation if you lost one, one of your backs. Yeah, I was just going to say something similar on Bryce Love. Don't be surprised if some Bryce Love drafters go ahead and drop him in favor of Peyton Barber this week. Because as you mentioned, Love was a healthy scratch for that game. So, I mean, this isn't, this is a game where a lot of times patience doesn't pay off. So you'll get some teams that say, all right, forget if Bryce Love's not playing, I don't have time for him trying to win the first 11 weeks of the season. I'll take the guy who's getting the goal line carries and they spend the money on Peyton Barber and toss Bryce Love back into the pool. I mean, if you can get Bryce Love next week for $5 or whatever it is, absolutely stash him because I think he is the much higher upside option in that backfield. Even if he doesn't end up paying off, I think there's a lot higher ceiling long-term to Bryce Love than to Peyton Barber. Yeah, exactly. And that might be, you know, someone might pick up Malcolm Brown and drop Bryce Love. You know, you you, you got to drop somebody to pick up a player. So I, I can almost guarantee you Love's going to get dropped, you know, all throughout the, the main event just because people have to pick up somebody else. So, uh, so yeah, that, that might be a nice play too. Elsewhere at running back, uh, Jordan Wilkins is on your list. Why don't you talk to us about him, Adam? People, whenever there's injuries, significant injuries to running backs, they're always like, oh, you know, the handcuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm going to grab the handcuff or whatever. Obviously, the, the injury to Marlon Mack, John, Jonathan Taylor sees a huge boost. Naheem Hines also was already there doing his thing, kind of surprised everybody there at, at the beginning of the game how involved he was. But all those guys are owned in all these main event leagues. So people kind of like, ah, oh, they kind of move on. But, you know, now Jordan Wilkins is there. He's one injury away from having a significant role. You know, you think of all the running backs there, you know, like Jonathan Williams, for an example, last year, he, you know, no one really heard of him. I mean, he, I kind of knew about him because he was a Buffalo Bill for, for a minute, but he had a two game stretch there. I think maybe the beginning of the playoffs, uh, the FFPC playoffs 
or towards the end of the regular season where he had two back-to-back really good weeks, like 20-plus uh, scoring weeks, 20-plus points mm-hmm. scoring weeks. And he was a guy that you kind of just picked up towards the end of the year there. And he, uh, you know, people had a lot less money around week 10 and week week 11. So it was a whole different ball game. But it's a situation where, you know, you get a guy like J- Jordan Wilkins now. He's he's one injury away. If the Colts don't pick up somebody, which they could, you know, they had, I think they had Lamar Miller was in, uh, you know, looking around. But, uh, but yeah, so put a little, and this is a time where you probably can get him for cheap. You know, I put down 5% uh, to pick up Jordan Wilkins on, you know, put a little $50, $40, $50 bid in on him. And see if you can't um, get him and stash him. And you know, if Naheem Hines, he hasn't been the picture of health. If he gets hurt or if Jonathan Taylor wears down, Wilkins has proven to be able to put up for fantasy points. So that's a, you know, to me, that's kind of thinking two steps ahead to try to grab these guys before they start going for for, for big money. Yeah, and you mentioned Lamar Miller has been visiting teams. Devontae Freeman has been visiting around. Neither of those guys has signed with a team yet. Obviously, if they do sign with a team at some point, they're going to be instant waiver wire fodder. So. It might be the time to go ahead and throw a few dollars at one of those guys. If you have the spot to play with, I wouldn't drop somebody that is a flex spot contender for you to pick up Lamar Miller or Devontae Freeman or Jordan Wilkins right now. But if you have the spot to play with, if, you know, for example, you drafted somebody, if you drafted Blake Jarwin, for example, and now he's <laughs> not available to play football anymore, you know, toss somebody in that spot unless you need a fill in tight end. Exactly. You know, guys like, you know, Jordan Wilkins, Devonta Freeman, Lamar Miller, those are guys where if you had Marlon Mack or like like you said, Blake Jarwin, and you have a roster spot to, to, to play with and you don't want to bid big on, uh, you know, on some of these other guys that we're talking about, put in a little $50 wager on all three of them. See if you hit, you know, you can grab one of them. And uh, just kind of set him there, and maybe uh, maybe end up hitting big later on in the year. Did you check to see if Benny Snell was av- available in any of your main event leagues? I did. He isn't because I think I have him in every <laughs> in all the leagues. But no, he uh, he's not available anywhere. And that's kind of the thing about these, uh, you know, people who are listening. Generally, people who are going to listen to this are going to be the high stakes main event players. But for those people who are just kind of the casual player, maybe don't play in these main events. They're going to wonder why we're not going to talk about, you know, Benny Snell, or we're not going to talk about, uh, you know, James Robinson or Naheem Hines. It's because all these guys were are, were already drafted in these main events. Um, because again, in, in, in the late rounds, you're, 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 you're looking for league winning picks. You know, you don't, you're looking for the player that if there is an injury, they're you're going to be in a situation where they're going to where they're going to smash. So Naheem Hines, people saw as hey, he could be the pass catching back there. He could be he could be the Austin Eckler there, but he's also an injury away from being awesome. Well, uh, he was Austin Eckler kind of week one, and then he also uh, was a beneficiary of, of, of an injury. So you know a lot of these guys are already long gone. You know. Joshua Kelly, we're not going to talk about him because he's gone in, in all these main events. So, um, so, so you're kind of reaching down uh, to some to some deep sleepers here. You mentioned injuries and Jets, Le'Veon Bell, hamstring injury, hit IR. Of course, this season that just means that he's going to miss three games. We'll see beyond that, but it's a goofy thing that I still have to get used to. Every every, every time I read that a guy's on IR, my brain <laughs> for a second is like. Oh no. And then I'm like, Oh wait, no, it just means three games this season. So he's out for a few weeks. He's going to miss 49ers Colts Broncos. That puts Frank Gore, Michael P Ryan and Josh Adams into focus. How are you treating any of those guys? Personally, I'm not treating them at all. <laughs> I'm not, I don't, I just, 
I have zero levy on Bell. Um, I just, and that's not even a knock on Bell. It's just a knock Adam. on the Jets and Adam Gase and the whole situation is just gross. So, um, you know, I might put in, you know, a $5 bid because I don't want to get lazy. You know what I mean? And I, and, and one of them, you know, go probably Gore will get most of the workload there for, for, for the Jets, but, um, but only if I have a spot, like if I have to, if I go through my rosters and there's a, there's an injury or whatever, but you know, again, if, if you lost one of your running backs or one of your receivers for a long, you know, for an extended period, if you lost a, a Michael Thomas for, you know, maybe four or five or six weeks or any other running backs that we've, we've mentioned, it's worth a five, a 5% spot. Um, but me personally, unless, you know, unless I'm in that situation where I'm completely desperate, that situation is just so, so gross that I, you know, it's hard. It's, it's hard to justify it. I agree. I didn't want any part of Le'Veon Bell, both because I'm not, I don't particularly believe in him and I don't believe in the situation, but these guys are, are like fallback options. And especially Frank Gore, I was surprised that he was not getting drafted at all. And maybe it's because he's done, but we'll see. I think there, I think it's a fallback only situation where, you know, you put in your higher dollar bids for Malcolm Brown and whoever else you want at running back. And then just in case you put, you know, Frank Gore or Michael P. Ryan for $3. And if it goes down the list and you get outbid on the other players, then you at least don't come away empty handed. Again, we've got the Niners, Colts, and Broncos the next three weeks. To me, yeah. the Colts among those three really looks like the only spot where you might consider starting a Jets running back. Exactly. And that's the thing. Like, it's not even a, a great schedule. I mean, there's nothing. Uh, there's nothing sexy about about the situation at all. So uh, he would kind of be at the end of you know you're putting a, a, a waiver list together of nine or ten guys. He's you know this situation's my ninth or tenth guy. One more running back I think to maybe check and see if he's available is Jamal Williams in Green Bay. No injury there, but you know as we kind of expected and Jared and I talked some about it. AJ Dillon <laughs> doesn't look like he was a very high value round two pick for the Packers and Jamal Williams is kind of continuing the role that he played last year. So that might be a case where you get out ahead of uh, any potential injury in the green Bay backfield and stash Jamal Williams, you know, especially in a fallback position where if you miss out on one of your top two targets, uh, he's somebody who might not be um, hotly sought after. Like I said, do your due diligence. You don't, you don't want to be lazy with this stuff. Certainly check your, your league for all for any free agents that you wonder if they're available, um, the seven the seven league the seven main event leagues that I'm in, Jamal Williams is not is, is not available. So, and I can't imagine um, that he would be available in many main events out there. But again, double check your 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 leagues, and, oh, and absolutely, Jamal Williams would, would certainly be worth a pickup. I mean, I mean, AJ Dillon looked looked great in bike shorts, you know what I mean, a month ago on Twitter, but uh, but those don't really pay the fantasy bills. So. Uh, Jamal Williams is certainly worth worth a pickup. Are you chasing any Miles Gaskin this week? I am not chasing any Miles Gaskin. Yeah, that situation's just a, just just a mess too. I will be standing there though if anybody is giving up on Matt Breida after week one, just in case. Yeah, I hope uh, that's such an interesting. Uh, you know, I thought he would be the pass catcher there for Chan Gailey, and it's just I don't think he had any any catches, maybe one one target. It's such a weird. It's such a weird thing, you know, we all assume or we all, you know, based on, you know, 
OC's past and what they've done, and then they completely flip flip the script, and, and then you kind of got to pick up the pieces. <laughs> I mean, they traded a draft pick for Matt Breida, signed Jordan Howard in free agency. Miles Gaskins, an undrafted free agent from not this past uh, off season. That one was goofy. Where I wouldn't be surprised if things change quickly in the the uh, play distribution. Yep. So moving on to other positions, Russell Gage is much higher up the list. We mentioned him some in the preseason. He's just in a terrific spot for target volume, and that showed up in week one, and I think it will continue to show up because I don't believe that Atlanta is going to be all that good. They're going to be throwing the ball a ton, and even as the third wide receiver in this loaded offense, I think Russell Gage is going to continue to be a volume collector. Yeah, so Russell Gage is a, it's definitely an exciting pick here. I actually, so I remember I don't have much of any Russell Gage, but I remember when we when I was doing my main event draft with you, Matt, we were kind of talking through the last couple picks, and I had drafted Julio, and I was trying to decide, you know, which which kind of handcuff player I was going to grab, and we're talking about the you know the upside, the athleticism of Russell Gage you had recommended, so you know I took a stab at him, and I, I obviously didn't start him, but. It's exciting to have a player like Russell Gage on my bench, um, and he's you know he's he's available in a lot of main event leagues. So he was a target monster week one. Um, at, at the very least, he's a uh, high end handcuff, you know, to Julio and to Calvin Ridley. So, but what I think is going to be the situation there is, you know, they faced a really tough tight end defense in Seattle, right? So they threw for 450 yards, and and all three receivers went crazy. Well, I think when they face, you know, uh, defenses that are a little easier on tight end. I think a lot of that's going to go to Hayden Hurst and obviously Julio and Calvin Ridley will out, will, will, will get theirs. So I think, you know, Russell Gage and Hayden Hurst are kind of going to rotate on whoever's got the better matchup, but that just goes to show you the upside that Gage can bring um, as a flex option. You know, once we get into these bye weeks or, you know, you, you can look and see, Hey, whenever, maybe whenever the Falcons are playing a really tough tight end defense, maybe you can slip Russell Gage into the flex there. Or if there, like I said, if there's, if there's an injury, um, he's certainly worth it. You know, he's a young guy. He's proved to be athletic. So, uh, you know, I've got him down for 25% of, of, of your budget. So if you have a thousand bid bucks and I think he's worth a $250 spot. If uh, maybe you do have a Michael Thomas who got hurt or, you know, you got some of these uh, receivers that, that are going to miss time, you know, the K- Kenny Galladay's and, and that type, type stuff. So I definitely think he's worth a worth a pickup and he could uh, he could certainly bring flex appeal for the rest of the year. I agree. He's their new Mohamed Sanu. So, the, you know, at the very least, there's weekly opportunities to go like four catches for 50 yards. He's obviously not going to go nine for 114 very often, but he can do five for 46 on a regular basis. And there's handcuff upside. If Julio goes down, if Calvin Ridley goes down, if Hayden Hurst goes down, any of those guys is going to add target upside to Russell Gage. So I absolutely agree with taking a shot on him in that range. Elsewhere at wide receiver, Scotty Miller is a name that that popped up a little bit. Tom Brady talked him up some during training camp, and then he probably popped up a little bit more because of Mike Evans's hamstring situation in week one. Mike Evans did play, but Scotty Miller was still solidly involved. He's a guy that I think is worth paying some attention to this week. Absolutely. He had a, he had a great camp. People were talking, you know, he had the, he, he, he was building that rapport in camp with Brady. He obviously had that clear rapport week one. Um, and I think, I think he's the clear number three receiving threat there as far as the entire team goes, you know, um, you know, Evans was dealing with that hamstring injury, but he looked fine to, to me. I mean, maybe he was a, he was a half a step slow, but he never does 
really well against the Saints, you know. So um, I th- and even today, Bruce Arians came out and was talking about how you know how he wish Evans would have gotten more more targets. How he feels bad every time Evans doesn't get d- d- double digit targets. So I don't think it was an issue with Evans' injury. I just think that. Brady loves Scotty Scotty Miller. So I think, you know, Gronk looked like a corpse mm-hmm. out there. You know, Ronald Jones did do some 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 catching and he's he's capable, but I think Brady showed that he's super comfortable with Scotty Miller and he's always liked those slot receivers. And when they go, you know, they do do quite a bit of 12 personnel, but when they're not in 12 personnel, I think Scotty Miller's gonna go into that slot and uh and Godwin and Evans are gonna be on the outside. So Brady loves the slot. Arians loves to pass into the slot receiver. So he's certainly worth a pickup. I've I love I love the whole Bucks situation. And I know they came out slow, but they still scored, you know, 24, 27 points, somewhere in there. So I'm willing to put a 20% bid down on him just because, again, with Russell Gage, he's he's a handcuff to these two elite receivers. Uh, and he's also gonna have um sometimes he's gonna lead the team in targets or be second in targets. So um I think he's definitely worth a worth a pickup. Yeah, he's their new Brashad Perriman, if nothing else. I mean, there's all the talk about the tight ends after they signed Rob Gronkowski, but this team was more of a three-receiver team than a two-tight end team last year, and the tight ends didn't play a ton when you consider that they have Rob Gronkowski and O.J. Howard. They played plenty of three receivers, as we've been talking about, and even Troy Aikman did the lazy thing of just comparing Scotty Miller to Danny Amendola and Julian Edelman and Wes Welker because they're all short and white. But Scotty Miller runs a 4-4-40. I mean, he's not Danny Amendola. He gets downfield. He averaged 14.6 yards per catch in this game. He can do more than the short white guys that uh, New England made sure to stock the offense with. So I agree with finding a spot for Scotty Miller and seeing what happens. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm I'm definitely excited to. Uh, he was a kind of a guy that I had. He's kind of a guy you kind of put on your on your watch list because you hear about you know oh he's got great camp rapport and all this type of stuff. All right, well I got I got to see it to to believe it. And well now now I believe it. So, um, and I'm a you know I'm generally a super aggressive bidder. So you know I I would much rather win a guy for an extra 150. I know it sounds crazy, but sometimes you win a guy, you're like, oh man, I need him. I own bid 350. And the next highest bid is, you know, 120. I never feel bad because it's like, I would rather have the guy than lose out on him by two bid bucks. Uh, you know, you're never going to be happy about that. So, you know, 20%, 200 out of your thousand might seem crazy, but um, if you're, you know, if you need a receiver uh, or if you believe in the bucks, like I do, I think it's certainly worth it. Another guy who showed it to us in week one is Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and he's somebody that I liked heading into last season because there was buzz. I did not hear a whole lot about him this year until right at the very end we started hearing Aaron Rodgers saying positive things about him, and Aaron Rodgers doesn't usually say positive things about anyone besides his insurance agent, so... I mean, that made him worth paying attention to. And then it was nice of them to not wait too long to actually show us that MVS might be a thing this year. How much are you going in for Marquez Valdez-Scantling? You know, he burned me so bad last year. And I was, you know, it's halfway through the game and I'm seeing Valdez-Scantling go go off. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I'm never going to take the number two receiver for the Packers again in all these drafts because I never know who who it is. Because last year I thought it was Valdez-Scantling and it wasn't. And this year I thought it was Lazard and it wasn't. Well, Lazard ended up having a really good game too. So uh, so I I, I don't think we still know who the number two receiver is, but 
if it, if it is MVS, he's certainly worth having. So uh, I put down a 15% bid for him. Um, I could see raising that up a little bit more. Um, if you believe, I'm more of a believer in the Bucks. Like if I have to choose between Scotty Miller and MVS, I'm going to go with Scotty Miller because I think over the course of the season, you know, the, the Bucks are going to pass more. Um, but uh, you know, but MVS was certainly that hot name. I remember last year, him, I, you know, he was going in the eighth round, seventh, eighth, ninth round of main, main event drafts. So he certainly has the speed and the skills. It's just, you know, can he get the rapport down with, uh, with, with, with Rogers? And it might be a situation where you, you have Alan Lazard, uh, pick up at MVS and then, you know, kind of figure it out as the year goes, it'll kind of f- figure itself out. And then you can start that other one. Or if, you know, if, if Devante Adams goes, goes down, then, then you got the, you know, you got the top two receivers for, for Green Bay. So MVS is certainly worth, worth a pickup. 15% is what I would say. Uh, but, but I certainly would understand going a little bit higher. Yeah. Uh, I agree with leaning slightly towards Scotty Miller, although I think they're very similar. And if you tell me that you prefer MVS, I'm okay with that as well, especially because he is working against Alan Lazard, who was nice last year, but certainly doesn't control that situation. It's not like a, a mountain that MVS cannot climb. I mean, MVS was there ahead of Alan Lazard last year. It's worth noting that, Alan Lazard did play a lot more snaps than MVS on Sunday. He ran nine more routes, 39 to 30. So, you know, you mentioned we don't really know who the number two wide receiver is yet. I I think that's true. And it might just be that Marquez Valdez-Scantling had the flashy plays, but that Alan Lazard really is the true number two receiver. So I would say don't worry about Alan Lazard right now if that's your reaction to MVS's big day. Instead, think, well, maybe there's room for three wideouts in this offense, especially because the tight ends apparently aren't going to do anything. Yeah, yeah, the tight ends, I feel like, you know, Rodgers does, doesn't use the tight ends as much as we would hope he would. But, yeah, and it's a situation where, you know, kind of going back to Scotty Miller to kind of compare the two, like, you know, they played, you know, a tough uh, a tough defense on the, on, on the road, you know, and the Vikings against the Packers, the Vikings secondary is, is we knew it was not going to be very good, but it is absolutely terrible. So it might just be a situation where, you know, everyone who faces the Vikings is, is, is going to go crazy. So, um, but again, we like, you know, I liked MVS last year. He's certainly skilled. Um, but he's certainly worth a, worth a pickup and kind of a wait, wait and see. Another wideout that entered the same range with these guys because of an injury is Traquan Smith. And it's Michael Thomas had the high ankle sprain. We found out today, Tuesday, that it's worse than they initially thought. And they're now expecting Michael Thomas to miss whatever several weeks is. This is a developing situation. We don't know how long he'll be out. But we have to figure it, it will at least be a couple of games for Michael Thomas. And the Saints have the Raiders, Packers, Lions, Chargers the next four weeks. And then they have a week six bye. So I think the Saints will probably be evaluating Michael Thomas as they approach that bye. And then if it's close on whether he's ready for week five, you know, that bye could just further motivate them to keep Michael Thomas out another week. I mean, we look at last year's Saints. They went five weeks without Drew Brees and still had the one of it's still tied for the top record in the NFC. So we know that they can weather a star player being down. So it's a very worrisome situation for Michael Thomas, but it's a great situation for Traquan Smith, who let fantasy drafters down big time last year when opportunity was there. There was nothing at receiver behind Michael Thomas, and he did nothing for us. He did still get a little bit of Drew Brees buzz this training camp, though. 
He did, you know, and it was, and I got to be honest, Traquan Smith, he was, you know, one of my flyers at the end of drafts last year. He never panned out. um, So I kind of just kind of wrote him off and moved on to new flyers this year, like Alan Lazard and stuff. So I didn't really have a lot of Traquan Smith. Now, you know, now it's just about the the, the volume. So if you're, you know, if, if you're a Michael Thomas owner, which I have a couple shares um, I have no main event shares of Michael Thomas, and thank God because I was kind of in that range, but I was always taking a running back there. Now, if you're a Michael Thomas owner, you got to want to puke because these injuries, these high ankle sprains, are you know they last a long time. Like Alvin Kamara last year, Saquon Barkley last year. If I'm a Michael Thomas owner, I don't even want to see him in the lineup. I don't even want to see him active for like a month or five or six weeks because. If he's active, I'm going to start him, and I'm going to start him, and he's going to score five fantasy points. So, you know, I just want – just let him rest it. Don't even – you know, I don't even want to see him, see him active. But back over to, to, to Traquan Smith, you know, I just don't know if Traquan Smith is any good. You know, now he's going to have more volume. You know, Drew Brees is still there, obviously, and they're going to try to get guys involved. But I'm just wondering if maybe they just start funneling more and more to kind of the, the established playmakers there like – you know, like Emmanuel Sanders, Kamara, you kind of maybe split out Kamara a little bit more than he already is. You know what I mean? Get the tight ends involved more. So, um, you know, get their get their third string quarterback involved more there, you know. But Traquan Smith's certainly worth worth an ad. I got him down for 15%, especially if you own Michael Thomas. Like if you own Michael Thomas, you're pissed and you're like, man, I still want to get a piece of this this offense. So he's certainly worth, you know, if you have a thousand bid bucks, he's certainly worth a hundred and fifty. He's probably gonna go for more. I just don't know if I'm willing to do it because I just don't know how much that the that, that they trust him. And, you know, even if you add Traquan Smith and even if he does perform for like a couple weeks, you know, Michael Thomas is still going to come back eventually. So it's not like Michael Thomas is done for the year. And once Thomas comes back, he's going to go back to being the, the kind of the, the main guy there. Here's the tough thing for me with Traquan Smith versus the other two wide receivers we just talked about. I, I think that he has the the greater immediate opportunity if you need a starter over the next couple of weeks. If you are losing Michael Thomas and you need somebody that, that might fill a flex spot, then he's attractive and at least as attractive as um, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, probably more attractive than Scotty Miller because he's now one of the top two wide receivers for New Orleans for at least a couple of weeks. I think he also ultimately has a higher ceiling. I mean, I also this offseason had a hard time selling Traquan Smith to myself because he he stunk last year and there was the opportunity was there. He should have had a breakout season. But I have to remind myself, it's just his third year now, and he's only 24, and it certainly would be far from the first time that we just saw a guy, you know, look like he was hopeless in year two, and then go from there to being extremely helpful to our fantasy rosters in year three. So I think that where Traquan Smith is most attractive is if you're in fine shape over the next few weeks, especially if you don't have Michael Thomas, so that's a non-factor for you, but you can stash Traquan Smith and see what happens because, you know, what happens if Michael Thomas is not okay? What if he does try to come back too early and hurts it further? What if Traquan Smith shows out over the next two weeks and he just operates ahead of Emmanuel Sanders the rest of the way or turns it into a true three-wide offense? I mean, in week one, Traquan Smith played 11 more snaps and ran one more route than Emmanuel Sanders, the guy that they signed in free agency after Traquan Smith let us down. So I think there's room for Traquan Smith 
to carve out a role and to give us fantasy production the rest of the way, even if Michael Thomas returns and Emmanuel Sanders delivers. And that's what makes him, I've convinced myself now that (laughs) can be an attractive option on waivers this week. That's it. You know, to kind of believe in Traquan Smith, you kind of got to convince yourself because I, I don't, um, I just feel like I'd rather have one of those other receivers that we had already talked about. And, and if Michael, when Michael Thomas does come back healthy, I just think Traquan Smith's going to go back to, you know, kind of where he's been, but you know, he's basically going to have to take a leap and do something that we just haven't seen yet. And I just don't know if I'm willing to to bid 300 or $400 on that. Cause that's what you're going to need to do to get him this, this, this week. So, you know, if I have Michael Thomas, I'm probably more likely to take him and then just start him and cross, cross my fingers essentially. Um, because I, I, I just have a feeling that, the, that they're just going to go and funnel. I mean, I'm sure he's going to have some flex appeal, obviously. I just don't think he's going to be, uh, it's going to be a situation where when Michael Thomas comes back, he, back, he's even going to be worth starting. That's just the way I, you know, I have kind of planted my, my flag. Yeah. And I do think it's most likely that Traquan Smith is not a big fantasy asset the rest of the way, but you know, Drew Brees receiver is tough to bet against. And to, to me, Traquan Smith and MVS are the Spider-Man pointing at Spider-Man gif. I mean, MVS started giving us those flashy plays last year and then completely disappeared in the second half and gave room for Alan Lazard to even become a thing. So I think they followed similar paths. And I think that I would not be shocked if either one emerges over the other the rest of the way. Yep. Over to tight end before we wrap up. Uh, the emergent tight end, I guess, from this list of guys that are, are potentially available this week was Logan Thomas in Washington. We talked about him a little bit in the preseason as having opportunity in Washington with the shallow offense and with him finally getting a chance to actually be a starter. He didn't have a big week against Philly, but he caught four balls. I think it was 37 yards and most importantly scored a touchdown. Yeah. So, you know, Logan Thomas is a guy that, you know, a lot of smart people were, were, were on. Um, and, you know, I hadn't really gotten, I don't have, a, I don't think I have any Logan Thomas. Usually I had two or three tight ends before it was time to take him. So, uh, but, you know, it being tight end premium boosts his value. You know what I mean? He did have a touchdown. I think he might have led the team in targets, like you said, or second on the, on the team. Um, and he has a real nice week two matchup against, against Arizona. So even if, you know, if you need a guy for a week to kind of see what happens, you know, a lot of people lost Blake Jarwin. I know it hurts. It hurts, Matt. But uh, so that's kind of where, the guys are probably going to end up looking at a guy like, like Logan Thomas as those who lost, but Blake Jarwin, they're kind of cr- crossing their fingers and hoping for the best with, with Logan Thomas. You know, he's young, he's, 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 he's athletic. Unfortunately, when you lose maybe your number one or number two tight end in these tight end premium leagues, it can, it can really hurt you. So uh, I think it, it for, for Blake Jarwin owners, I think Logan Thomas is worth a, th- a, th- a 30% bid. You know, if you have a thousand bid bucks left, I think he's worth 300 because you know, to lead the team in targets or to be up there and then the team in targets and scoring a touchdown. Um, I think that's certainly what that's kind of how it starts, right? You see, you know, tight ends will do that week one or week two, and you're like, ah, I don't really believe it. And then they do it again week four and week five. It's like the Darren Waller situation, you know, although Darren Waller was getting drafted much higher last year. Some people have to see it to, to believe it. Well, he did it, and now you lost Blake Jarwin. So go ahead and pick up a little Logan Thomas, spend the money to, to, to do it, and cross your fingers that he has a breakout year. Yeah, I don't think Logan Thomas has Darren Waller upside, but I think he has Mike Jasucki upside from the second half of last year, where all these other Dolphins 
fell by the wayside and suddenly Mike Jusucki was just soaking up targets and he wasn't efficient, but he was just getting targets and he finished as a top 10 tight end. Logan Thomas is set up to just soak up targets. And even if he's inefficient, he's going to score points because you don't need that much target volume to be a, a weekly factor at tight end. And at, he did lead Washington in targets last week, one ahead of Terry McLaurin and I think three ahead of anybody else on the team. Uh, yeah, the the third guys were Dontrell Inman and J.D. McKissick tying for at five targets. I mean, that's that's all you need to know about the target situation is those are the guys tying for third ahead of Steven Sims, who's the other factor. So Logan Thomas, again, doesn't have to be that good to be a regular target collector in Washington. I think he's absolutely worth putting a claim a claim in for on FFPC this week. Absolutely. Jimmy Graham, another one down the list. Um, produced in week one also kind of did what we expected him to in that he didn't catch many of his targets, saw a bunch of them, did score, could have done more. That's probably going to be the story for him all season. But, you know, similar to Logan Thomas, I think there's going to be targets there because the Bears clearly think more of Jimmy Graham than the rest of us do. Yeah, Jimmy Graham was another guy on that main event team that you kind of talked me into taking there at the end. Uh I needed three tight end. I needed a third tight end, and obviously I didn't start him. But you know, he had he had a nice camp. We were hearing about the camp he was having, and then he ended up being second on the team in targets. And that's what you're looking for out of these these kind of tight end flyers. And like you said, you don't need that many targets to be uh, relevant or to be startable in these in these tight end premium leagues. So you know, if he's continue to if he's going to continue to get those targets, especially inside the red zone, there he's definitely worth having. I got a ten percent. Uh, claim down for him and to kind of tie that in you know with with our last tight end is J- Jordan Aikens too same thing you know he's the clear number one tight end uh, for for the Texans based on playing time you know obviously didn't have a monster game but um if he's going to lead his team in, in tight end routes run and um if he's going to lead the team in playing time and all that type stuff then he's uh, I got him down for a 10% bid too so Jimmy Graham, Jordan Akins, if you end up losing out, like if, if if you lost Blake Jarwin and you put in a big claim for, for Logan Thomas and you lose out on him, put in a couple smaller claims in for uh for Jimmy Graham and Jordan Jordan Akins. And I mean Jordan Akins is young enough where he could be a little breakout tight end. Jimmy Graham's not gonna obviously he's already broken. <laughs> he's broken. He's broken down. Um but uh you know, and he's not exciting. But again, if he's gonna get those targets. Uh, inside inside the red zone, these guys are flexed. You know they could be bye week flex starters, or if you're desperate, while you're waiting for someone else to, to to kind of break out for you. Yeah, and in the one and a half PPR FFPC, they can be fallback bids, even for a running back. If you lose out on the running backs, you you toss Jordan Akins in that final spot so that you don't get nothing. Nothing um, exactly for the, injured, for the injured running back. They have to throw back out there. Yep. That's going to do it for this edition of our High Stakes Podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now for our Week 2 Free Agent Focus article and rest of the way rankings to help you make your waiver decisions this week. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Adam is at Adam underscore Krautwurst. And I am at ShaufDS. That's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Adam Krautwurst and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Schauf saying thanks so much for swimming with us. 